Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarice and Stephen Means. This is Hoops. If you don't care that much about Ohio State basketball, we're not trying to trick you into listening. This is a basketball reset podcast. We have not done one. Since the basketball season ended, we know what this roster is going to look like. We know that Bryce Sensabaugh is staying in the NBA draft. We know they have added three transfers, and that's it. We know what the rotation is going to be. We know what the scholarship count is, Stephen. So it gives us a chance to assess what we think these basketball Buckeyes will be and should be in the 2023-2024 season. Let's go super wide picture before we dive in. Because part of this is how good is your league? How do you fit into your league? Looking back at the 16 guys who made one of the three all Big Ten teams last year, by my count, six of those 16 are back mm-hmm. this year. There were a couple guys headlined by National Player of the Year, Zach Eady of Purdue, who decided to stay in college after thinking about the NBA draft. I have Terrence Shannon. That was another decision. First-team guy at Illinois. Those are the two first-teamers back, Edie and Shannon. Uh, Jameer Young at Maryland is back. Uh, I can't read my – who's the Michigan State guy? Tyson Weller? Walter? Tyson Walter? W-A-L – I can't – is it a Z? He's back. Boo Booey is back at Northwestern. Uh, Rutgers big guy is back. But, like, so 6 out of 16, there's a lot of talent that left, right? Michigan lost two guys who are probably going to be – NBA draft picks and Jet Howard and Kobe Bufkin, who who could have stuck around. Uh, Jalen hood Shafino, freshman, left Indiana. Trace Jackson Davis, veteran guy, left Indiana. Chris Murray at Iowa. Basically, the six guys that are projected from the Big Ten to potentially go in the first round of the NBA draft it is Kobe Bufkin, Jet Howard from Michigan, Bryce Sensabaugh from Ohio State, who will obviously talk about. Jalen hood Shafino, Trace Jackson Davis, and then Chris Murray of Iowa. So it's not – none of them are maybe lottery picks. There might not be anybody in the lottery out of the Big Ten. So it's not like everybody's returning their teams in full. But one of the things, Stephen, I think the main thing about this is, hey, Ohio State took its lumps last year Mm -hmm. for a reason. Even by the end of the year, we knew Gene Smith's telling Chris Holtman, play the young guys, play the young guys. So you got to get something out of it. So it's like, okay, this league lost 10 of the 16, all Big Ten guys. That's an opening for a team that took its lumps and gained experience last year to move up, does it feel like Ohio State actually has a chance for that to happen? Or will there be too many other teams in this league that are still going to be good and push them down the standings? I think we get back to the floor of what we've seen from Chris Holtman here, where maybe they're middle of the pack, but they can maybe get up into that top four as well. And I say that because Bryce Stinson Ball was a pretty important piece and to have gotten his second year out of that would have been great. It's not quite Malachi Branham level, but it is to a point where you weren't expecting that kid to be a one-and-done guy, and now you've lost that guy along with Justice Suing. Your your highest score coming back is 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 a Spruce Thornton at, at 10.6 points per game. So there are some guys who maybe have to take an extra step after the step they already have to take, but – the the underline of are we going to see another under 500 season from Ohio State? I don't think that should be the expectation. Okay, so I don't I don't think the league's going to put up a blockade, no. right? I, I think there will be opportunity, which again was the whole problem of last year is that Ohio State basically the whole league it's like a 11 team league that's like okay Purdue's at the top coin flip the next 10 and Ohio State's not mm-hmm. in the coin flip that's the issue. So at least if they're going to be in the coin flip. That's going to be part of it. Just again, it's very difficult this time of year to try to get context. Andy Katz, who now works for NCAA.com, did his rankings like when the tournament ended. This is pre all the NBA decisions. The Big Ten teams he had in the top, he had his top 36 in the nation. He had Michigan State 6, Purdue 8, Ohio State 17, Maryland 23, Northwestern 28. So he had Ohio State as a third best team in the league. It's like, Terrence Shannon coming back for Illinois probably changes that. Ken Palm, the statistical guy that everybody likes for NCAA basketball, doesn't have anything updated. There's another thing that I came across in another story called like the T-Rank or something. It's another statistical thing that is updated as roster shift in the offseason. So I'll take that. I'll take whatever you got that is going to acknowledge the roster shifts right now. 
that statistical evaluation and projection has Ohio State as the eighth team in the Big Ten, 41st in the nation. So if Andy Katz has him third and this statistical thing has him eighth, you know, there's a big difference between third and eighth. But what they have to be is in the mix, right? It's like, yeah. is there any reason for any Ohio State fan to be like, I can't, I can't go through another year where they're, you know, crossing their fingers for five Big Ten wins? Mm-hmm. Is in the mix a practically a certainty, Stephen? Yes, he says in June, <laughs> knowing that somebody might replay this come next January. But yes, it should be. I think those young guys, especially since he started playing them so late and the Big Ten tournament showed you some things that you can feel like that might translate in a year, you know, because they got their feet wet. And there was so much time, so many times last year where it was the it was like it was either hopefully the young, talented guys get it or your transfers that you brought in can just kind of help, help you tread water. And neither of those things happened. And I think this time around, the young guys have experience, but also I just think Chris Holtman and his coaching staff did a better job in the transfer portal, getting guys that can help you and not just guys that can supplement you, you until you're ready for the young guys. Okay. Let's go through this roster. And I think we need to start with the guy that you've mentioned. I think everybody would, I think he's the he's the key to this team. I think everybody would acknowledge this. Bruce Thornton in the first 13 games against Big Ten competition last year, scored in double figures twice. Mm-hmm. Twice. In the last 13 games against Big Ten competition, which includes the games in the Big Ten tournament, he scored in double figures 10 times. So he went from 2 of 11 to 10 of 13. As a casual observer of this basketball team, Stephen, you are certainly much, much, much more involved in it. I sort of was wondering last year, like, when are they just going to tell Bruce Thornton, just forget about getting the ball to these other guys who don't know what to do with it. Just go <laughs> score. And it feels like when that happened, whether it was the maturation of a freshman point guard, whether it was Chris Holtman handing over the keys, whether it was out of desperation because nobody else was doing anything, that felt like that started to flip them a little bit. I don't know that that means that Bruce Thornton should be their leading scorer this season, but him being more aggressive offensively and being the heartbeat of this team. I think he was all right. Emotionally. He's a very mature young guy, but like on the court, I'm running the show. I'm a scoring point guard. How important is that? And do you think that will kick in from day one and we'll see that version of Bruce Thornton? Or do you think he's maybe not all the way there yet? I don't think he has to be the leading scorer, but he should probably be like in the top three. Consistent, not just like because it looks like that at the end of the year because he finally clicked for him at the second half. No, I just think all year he should be one of your top three options. It's not their games aren't completely similar, but I do think the concept of what Aaron Kraft was for Thad Mata his entire career is how I might look at Bruce Thornton because this guy's not a two and done, three and done NBA player. Now he might go prove me wrong, but because Malachi and Bryce have done that, but this is a four year college basketball player as your point guard and Aaron Kraft was a four year college basketball player as a talent, but he was consistent. You could rely on him. It was like, is he your best player? It was Aaron Kraft ever the best player on any individual team or how during his Ohio state career. No, he wasn't. There was maybe his, maybe his senior year and they lost in the first round of Dayton in the tournament because he was forced <laughs> to be, and then you aren't as good, but bingo. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> but if he's like the third best player, and also a leader and also a voice and also kind of like the culture kind of flows through him. That's a pretty good basketball team because in front of Aaron Kraft was Jared Selinger and on down the list, all American level players, NBA players were in front of him. And I think that's how I want to view, I view Bruce Thornton in that same rate is that like, no, he's not the best player. Roddy Gale might be their best player. Uh, uh, the transfer from Minnesota might be their best player. Bryce Stor- Sensiball last year was their best player. Never the best player, but probably the most valuable because he does X, Y, Z for this team. And he does have to look for a shot. So I think yes. when you talk about what they went through last year and is there a payoff, it's not only him. 
but I think he's at the top of the list. Learning to run a team, learning to balance your own offense with everybody else's offense. It feels like if that's a transformation that took place, because that's a tough spot to be in as a young guy. But if then you get now three seasons of the Bruce Thornton, who's been through the fire and come out the other side, and that that would be what makes would make last year worth it, right? Would make it that, hey, you're 5-15 and 15 in Big Ten play. You're 13th in the league when the top 12 teams are all in the mix and you're not. Like, what was the point? A Bruce Thornton who comes out steeled for the fight and mm-hmm. confident in his own offensive game because it feels like everything else is there would be part of that. And then the next guy is Roddy Gale, right? Who, again, he really... Didn't he seem to find himself in a real way late in the year? And do you think that translates into this coming season? I think Roddy Gale's leash got longer as the season went on. And he was allowed to maybe make some mistakes that he wasn't allowed to make earlier in the year. And sometimes that's all it is, right? Just throw a kid out there, let him go through it, and eventually they're going to figure it out. And it felt like Roddy Gale started to figure it out in late January, you know, mid-February, heading into the Big Ten tournament. And I think that's going to have a payoff. I don't know if he's ever going to be a superstar. Probably not. But he can be a very high-level 3 and D guy for you, who is 11, 12 points a game, 40% shooter from three-point range, put him on the other team's best player. This this team, I think, has some parts of it that it's, it's, I don't think it's missing anything, this roster. Now, it might be missing, like, the superstar, but like like I said, that's why they went out and got a, a transfer from Minnesota who might fill that role in, in Jamison Battle. But everybody, they have all the other pieces where I just, I don't see a, a narrative flaw that cost this team 12 Big Ten games this year, like in the other years past. So Roddy Gale scored in double figures in three games last year. Two of the three were the last two games of the season. Yep. If he's a three and D guy, all right, Bruce Thornton is a tough, smart, physical point guard who also will get his points. Roddy Gale Mm -hmm. is a three and D guy who will try to lock up the best teams, other play the other team's best player, maybe hit some threes, but, you know, is not is not the guy you're going to center your offense around. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the second guy who went through the fire last year. The third is Felix Okpara, who's going to be the five this coming season. These are all sophomores we're talking about. Is that is that right in your mind? I think this is an interesting dynamic with him and Zed Key, and it's very similar to a year ago with Zed Key and Kyle Young, where, like, the upside of Zed Key made him better than Kyle Young. But as a freshman, Kyle Young started, Zed Key came off the bench. But near two, Zed Key started, Kyle Young came off the bench. I think the upside with Felix Opar is higher for what he can be as a rim protector that really, like Chris Holman hasn't had here, who can be a guy in the dunker spot and can finish around the rim, you know, uh, and clean up things, be a great rebounder. I, I am wondering how that dynamic is going to work. I think day, I think day one, Zed Key's the starter, but I can envision a world where at some point Felix ends up being the starting center for this team because it just makes more sense. You don't like, I mean, Zach Eady uh, exists. You know, and you got to have a guy who can match up with him. So if Felix Opar spent this past year having a physical transformation and just being able to actually like withstand the Big Ten, plus you add in what all his gifts are, I just think long term that would make more sense. Even if Zed Key maybe gives you a little bit more offensively. Anybody who wants to use a CJ Hicks Steel Chambers comparison for mm. Felix Okpara and Zed Key, you are welcome to. We grant mm. you that permission with a sophomore and a senior. Probably those two guys, Zed Key, the only senior on the roster, at least senior who's been around, they're your two big guys. So, but but Felix Arkpar, there's the upside, but he is, he's like a defense first guy. He's a shot blocker, rim runner, right? Run the baseline, dunker spot mm. kind of stuff. Okay, okay. So those really, when we really, really, really think about what did you get out of last year, That's really what we're thinking about, because when you think about the rotation this year, it's 
the top 10 guys are going to be three true freshmen, Mm -hmm. the three sophomores we just talked about, three transfers, and Zed Key. That's your 10. So Zed got a little bit, but Zed already had been through it a little bit. Zed didn't need to go 5 and 15 to learn anything. So you're going to have six guys in this top 10, Stephen, who didn't get anything out last year. They didn't learn anything. They weren't here. So so this these three become incredibly vital to the Chris Holtman era. It's a little bit like the Browns when the Browns went one and 31. And it's like, well, when you go one and 31, there's not going to be that many guys left. It's like, well, Miles Garrett went through it. Yep. I'm like, what do you get out of it? There's a couple guys. Joel Petonio went through it. There's a couple guys and you come out the other side and does it crush you or does it build you up? Did the coaches learn something about you or were they just scrambling to try to keep their head above water? This threesome, Thornton, Gale, Akpara, and it's not a foursome because Bryce Sensabaugh went to the NBA. We'll get to Bryce more in a second. This threesome, can they forge the new era of Ohio State basketball? And we can't get too far ahead of ourselves because it's a one-year-at-a-time sport, but maybe all these guys are here for at least two years together. My gosh, if they all get to senior day, people are going to be crying, oh, my God, these guys, four years. be great. But even for this year, can this can these guys be the heart of the team? Are they good enough? Are they tough enough? Are they the right kind of dudes? I mean, I think they better be. <laughs> you know, it's I don't know. They don't have to be the three best players on the team, but they have to be prevalent. They in, in what's going on in this year because you're right. There are those three and Zed Key are the only guys who went through it. So if they don't matter and what's happening out there, last year was a waste. What was it for? Because you want to be able to look, whether it's this season or this season and next season, the next couple of years, as long as these three are on the roster, you want to be able to look back on that 2022-2023 season and go, it sucked, but it produced this, whatever this is. If this doesn't happen, then, like, you know, what was the point of it? It just You just sucked for a year, and it kind of, like, bottomed out in the Holtman era after kind of treading water for three or four years. Okay. Should fans be enthused? Should fans be enthused? Are those three guys to get excited about? Because the one thing is, you can't ask guys to be things they're not. But the way we're describing them, you're describing them. You got kind of a rim runner, rim protector. You got a three and D guy. And you got a tough, smart point guard. Are they pretty good versions of those descriptions? Yes. And they showed enough of it at the end of the year that you can actually rely on it and believe in it a little bit more. Like had they just like bottomed out and they did really that big 10 tournament run for what it is having that run for that young group mattered in a way that it didn't matter a couple of years ago when they ended up being the two seed and lost in the first round where it's like, you just got hot. No, this time around you built some confidence and you saw exactly what their futures were. So you can have faith in it this time around. By the way, I saw, I was looking at a list of like the 50 most important transfers in college basketball. This offseason, and number two on the list was Max Abus, the point guard from Oral Roberts yeah. who murdered Ohio State in that game and now is transferring <laughs> to Texas. So it's like, oh, good for that guy. I'm glad I'm glad that devastating Ohio State loss didn't go for naught. Someone got something out of it. Yeah. Max. Congrats, Max. And we're like, ah, Oral Roberts. Ah, Oral Roberts. They don't have anybody. Oh, oh, that guy can. Okay. All right. So you got three pieces here. But they're still looking for something. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Stephen. You said something to the effect of, I don't know if they're missing anything. How about a star? How about a leading scorer? How about a guy who can get his own shot? How about a guy who is going to be their best player? Because what we have described so far to me feels like, oh, great. A point guard for the best player who will get him the ball? Awesome. A wing defender who will hit some threes? Awesome. A big guy who will catch lobs and block shots? Awesome. What's the thing, though? What's the, oh, the number one. What Now, and here's the thing, right? Number one's in the league. Bryce Sensabaugh's supposed to be this guy. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know what to make of this. I think Ohio State understands that a world of Bryce Sensabaugh's and Malachi Branham's where they're here for a year, they're good, but they're not 
great because they're young and they don't come in as finished products. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, the teams aren't great. And then they're gone. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, I don't know. Because like Ohio, BJ Mullins was kind of that. BJ Mullins was a one and done guy at Ohio State. And it's like, well, that's wonderful. But they made the NIT last year and he was fine. So like you want Greg Odin's. You want Mike Conley's. You want D'Angelo Russell's. You don't really want one and done guys who don't help you be good. So I don't know that there's anything they can do, but man, Malachi and Bryce, just frankly, it's not a way to build a program. You cannot build a program on Malachi Branham's and Bryce Sensabaugh's because Bryce Sensabaugh was a pretty good young scorer last year and they sucked. (laughs) So he couldn't do enough to keep them from being that. And by the way, he was so bad on defense that Holtman kept him out of game sometimes. Mm-hmm. So there's the what's good for the player and what's good for the program. Congratulations to Bryce, Bryce Sensabaugh. Go make your money. Great luck in the league. I was looking at a mock draft that had him going to the Lakers. Awesome. Go, go be the replacement for Austin Reeves in LA when he leaves as a free agent and take all those shots and be the Lakers third best player next year with he's not LeBron's not going to talk with LeBron and AD and Bryce Sensabaugh. That's the new Lakers trio. Awesome for him. Not awesome for Ohio State. Steven, is it just a fact of life and they've been stuck for two years? Or what could Ohio State try to do differently so this doesn't happen? I don't know how you prevent Malachi Branham and Bryce Sensabaugh from happening. Because you're not going to not recruit those guys. But they're guys where it's like they don't – neither one of those guys came into the year thinking this is my only year in Columbus. Those guys came in understanding there's more. Because I actually remember asking Bryce Sensible about that idea of like, hey, you see what Malachi just did? Like, is that even like in your – and I asked him multiple times throughout the year about that idea. And like while he wasn't thinking about it and saying all the right things, like it became a prevalent thing of this can happen, just like with Malachi Branham. But it's 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 the fundamental difference between football and basketball when it comes to making the decision if you're going to go pro or not, right? Because what those two had – in their one year is like prevalent to where Zach Harrison was after year three. And in football, Zach Harrison comes back for year four In basketball, because it's more, it's so much more about what you can do versus what you are going to, what you are right now, you have to leave. And so I don't know if Ohio state can ever get the best version of that. They don't ever get to have, you know, the chase young who's like fully formed in the best version of yourself. And now he's helping you win because those guys, you're not going to get to chase young. He's going to leave the moment he flashes anything. So I think you just have to keep recruiting it. And in some way, as weird as it sounds, hope they're good enough to be the best player of your team, but not good enough that like NBA scouts start falling in love with them. And maybe that happens this year with this group of freshmen, because I don't I don't see necessarily a, a one and done level ceiling for anybody right now, but that's what you just have to rely on. But you have to keep recruiting Malachi and Bryce because they're good basketball players. They just were too good and you weren't expecting them to be that good. So I don't know if you can stop it. It's the way of the world. It's a little bit of bad luck. It's just the way it worked. But when you look at Bryce Sensabaugh last year, I think he scored in double figures in all but three games. Correct. He was sort of the offensive centerpiece for this team, just as Suing was as well. But So now Bryce isn't here. And I don't know that they've replaced him as the presumed offensive centerpiece. And so... All those times where we're saying, okay, Bruce Thornton, he wasn't a double-figure scorer until the second half of the year. Roddy Gale was a double-figure scorer three times the whole year. Felix Akpara is not a scorer. They're good players for what they're supposed to be. Who runs? Who does the offense run through? Who's the guy that a defense has to worry about? It was supposed to be Bryce Sensabaugh when Chris Holtman and the staff put this class together. Now he's gone, and so I guess we'll move to the freshman because is it Scotty Middleton? as a true freshman who can be, must be that. And let's hold off on the Jamison battle conversation because I want to talk mm-hmm. about the freshmen as a group and I want to talk the tra- the transfers as a group. Can Scotty Middleton be at least what Bryce was last year as an offensive threat? But again, if they want to be better, I think they need their number one offensive guy to even be better than that. And listen, Justice Suing is just not a one. He's a three. No. 
In yes. ter- like on a good team, he's a three. He wound up being a one and a half or a two or a one in his Ohio State career far too much. That's not mm-hmm. about him. That's about the roster that the Buckeyes built around him. But like, that's not it. Bryce at his best is a version of that, but I don't know. That's a can Scotty Middleton be that? I'm not expecting that on day one. And I'm going to throw Devin Royal in this conversation too, because I do think those are the two freshmen who might log the most minutes. So we're talking about two Scotty Devin Royal, the number 48 player, number nine power forward, but he can play both three and four. And then Scotty Middleton, number 49 player, the number 10 small forward. But the way they play basketball, he can play two, three, four a little bit because they go small sometimes. I think those guys are ready to play college basketball. Devin Royal maybe a little bit more physically ready. Um, Royal, actually, fun fact, with Pickington Central, where as a junior, him and junior slash senior, it turns out to be Sonny Styles, won a Division One Ohio State basketball championship. So, yeah, fun I fact that there. Team. I, I, yeah. Went and, I, I went and watched that same. team play. I did, yeah, I, same. They were good. Yeah, oh, yeah. he's And I think Dev, at that point, Devin Royal was very much a 10 feet and in type of basketball player. He has evolved a lot of his game over the since I went and saw them play their junior year. So I, I think they're going to be ready to contribute. I don't think they're going to be in the same position that Bryce Sinsenball were in, where it's like, I, they're, it's like, dude, we need you to score 15 points right now. It's actually going to look a lot more like with Malachi, where because he had somebody in front of him who was a veteran, who was actually their one, Malachi didn't have to fully be the one until he was ready to be it. So Scotty Middleton and Devin Royal in the front court. Tayson Chapman, more like a shooting guard, maybe a combo guard. Is that right? As bit, the other yeah. freshman who should play? A little, little, little bit of both there. Number 40 player, number eight combo guard. That's a guy who will share point guard duties with Bruce Thornton. Um, he'll, he'll get minutes as well. But it's just because I think they're a little bit more secure in what the backcourt is right now. They're not going to necessarily rely on him to start or have to play heavy minutes because you're going to be asking Gail and Thornton to do that. Okay. But we think all in the rotation and probably yeah. one of Middleton and Royal starting. Does one of those have to start at a forward spot, probably? I think so. Um, somebody, one of the textures actually about a month ago asked me to project starting lineup, and I went with Bruce Thornton. Roddy Gale, Jamison Battle, Devin Royal, and then Zed Key as far as day one starters. Okay. So Zed and Akpara, right, as we covered, kind of split in that center spot. The other options, so those are the three, there's there's um those are the three freshmen who are gonna have an impact this year. Middleton, yeah. Royal, and Chapman. So again, we're trying to think about there's probably ten guys to really think about. We've covered the three sophomores, we've covered you know what's up with Zed Key, that's four. These three freshmen brings you to seven. And now this brings us to the transfers. And here's the thing with the transfers. And I, it's fine. They got two okay players from good teams and a good player from a bad team. Yeah. And at some point, I would be cool to get a good player from a good team. So Jamison Battle is the linchpin here. The only team in the Big Ten last year that was worse than Ohio State was Minnesota. And Jamison Battle was the second leading scorer for Minnesota. He was second in minutes. He was second in points for that team. He scored 12.4 points per game. He averaged 36 minutes per game. He also shot 37% from the field. And his scoring was down by about five points from mm-hmm. the previous two years. So he had a bad year compared to what he had been. What should Ohio State fans expect him to be? The 12-point-per-game, 37% shooter in Big Ten play or a guy who can put up 20 in the Big Ten on a somewhat regular basis? Because to me, as we talk about a team that seems to have a bunch of good role guys and nobody to be the offensive centerpiece, the difference between 12 points a game and 18 points a game would be gigantic for this team and which Jamison Battle is it going to be? I have some faith that it's the... 17 guy and the reason why is he's got multiple years of doing that where it's like i'm around 46 45 to 47 percent from the field 35 36 percent from three 75 to 78 percent from the field it's best case scenario he's what jalen pickett was at penn state a guy who came up a level and also his game rose to the occasion and then he ended up being one of the better players in the big 10 I don't think battle gets quite to that level, 
But I do think that unlike with Tanner Holden last year, who has also gone back to the Horizon League after you know, transferring into Ohio State for a year, I think Battle can bring it from day one. And I don't, I think he can be a guy who's 15, 16, 17 points per game for, for you. And he's going to be the reason why I'm not going to say superstar, but he's the guy that you rely on and the offense flows through while that second wave of freshmen continues to come along and this now sophomore year continues to go on the path that they're headed on now. And I think that, Get it? He is the Bryce Simpson ball replacement. So he scored over 20 points six times last year. He scored over 20 points 11 times in his first year at Minnesota. The two years before mm-hmm. that, he was actually at George Washington. So he's a two-year Minnesota player. This will be his fifth year playing college basketball. I got to tell you, man, I'm a little nervous about this. Like, to me, <sighs> if Ohio State's going to be good, I, I don't think Jamison Battle – and. Let's say leading score. Let's say number one offensive threat, because that's not the same thing as best player. I think it's probably we would agree maybe that Bruce Thornton is going to wind up being the best player for this team, but he might mm-hmm. not be the guy. He leads the offense, but he might not be the guy that the offense runs through in terms of how does who's a defense worried about, who's the leading scorer on most nights. I don't think Jamison Battle is the level that a number one guy at Ohio State should be. He's not EJ Liddell, right? He's not EJ Liddell, is no. he? No, no. So so if he's not that, that your number one really isn't a one. And now it just sets, like, they're not going to have a one. And I've, when I was covering more basketball, I covered yours. I was like, we don't have a leading scorer. Everybody's leading scorer. It's like, great. Okay. I don't know. Would you like Evan Turner? Would you take Evan Turner though? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, well, we take Evan Turner. So I, I just don't, I don't think they're going to have a go-to guy that most top 25 teams have, that most top four Big Ten teams have. I don't know that Jamison Battle's going to scare anybody. And then all of a sudden, that means Roddy Gale's going to have to get his own shot. That means Bruce Thornton's going to have to get his own shot. That means these freshmen are going to have to do a little more. Because I don't know that Jamison Battle's going to draw a double team in the post and kick because it'll be like, oh man, if we don't double Jamison Battle, we're not going to be able to stop him. I don't know. I mean, he's had some monster games in the Big Ten, but like, I don't know, man. Like the idea of... Oh, he had a good year at Minnesota. Then he had a, like a significantly worse year, but like, oh, well, we'll straighten him out. I I think, I, I don't know, Stephen. And I think this is an absolutely critical question to how good they're going to be. Or, or is this, do you think, hey, they're going to have five guys who score between eight and 13 points a night. And that's their offense. And you don't know who the leading scorer is going to be, but they're going to be more connected. They're going to play good defense. They're going to go eight deep. And it's okay if they don't have a true number one. Is that Could that be the winning formula for this team? Or does battle need to be like at least a second team, third team, all Big Ten guy? I think the the no leading score, multiple guys between eight and 13, it's a formula. I don't think it's a winning formula. I, I do not think that wins you basketball games, at least important basketball games. It doesn't. You got to have a dude when, like, there's eight minutes left in a game, and it's time to go win the basketball game. Who are you giving the ball to? And they've had that in the past with guys like EJ Liddell. Even Dwayne Washington Jr., as much as he could rise your your blood pressure and your stress levels, he had moments where it's like, give me the ball, I'm going to go win the game. Malachi was a give me the ball, go win the game guy. Jared Sellinger, uh, D'Angelo Russell, you just mentioned Evan Turner, you know, Deshaun Thomas. They've had guys where it's like, give me the ball with eight minutes left and let's go win the game. All that team stuff is cool till like, you. no one's our leading scorer, but it's also, that's very easily, no one can score right now and we need somebody to score I think Jamison Battle gets you through the first half of the season while Scotty Middleton and Devin Royal are figuring it out. And no, he's not EJ Liddell level. Um, but I do think that those two guys mixed with what this sophomore class is going to be provide a bigger up, a higher upside come February. But if you have a veteran dude who's proven he can score 20 points, when you need him to do it through the first, through the non-conference schedule, really through that first month of January, when things get kind of rough for our say sometimes, I think he can help you stay afloat a little bit better because of what his skill set was in comparison to last year's centers. I mean, last year's transfers. Now I get where you're coming from because those are two very drastic seasons. One of those dudes is a all big 10 basketball player, like second team. Maybe you can make a case for first team if he was on a better team. The other dude, well, it's well, like, well uh, let me, let, you're talking about Jamison Battle, the two Jamison yes. Battles. 
Yes. Just as a point of reference, two years ago, the better version of him, EJ Liddell was a first teamer that year. Malachi Branham was a third teamer. He did not make an all Big Ten team. He was honorable mention. Now, mm. that's not the end all be all. He might have gotten overlooked because Minnesota wasn't very good and he was new to the yeah. league. But that like that's Kofi Coburn, uh Keegan Murray. Yeah. Like that's NBA some players. Dude. Yeah. Jaden Ivey. That's some dude. So just even at his best, the people who cover the league and the coaches like didn't view him that way. So yeah. just wanted to throw that out there. But the quite like the, but then you're getting into a semantics of like how many lottery t- players are in the Big 10 this year cuz the Big 10 just happened to have a lot of lottery players and a lot of high end NBA players that year. So I go but the point of the matter is this is a guy who was a high level basketball player at his best when he first got to the Big 10. And then last year he had a bad shooting year. So do you want to look at it as like oh he just got cold for a season so he should be back to what he was his first year or was the first year the fluke? Or is it somewhere in the middle? That's fine as long as he's somewhere in the middle of up. Because I think that gets them through the first half of the season. So Minnesota, the year that he was good and was their leading scorer more often than not, was 13 and 17 and 4 and 16 in the league. Hmm. Any worry that he's a good stats, bad team guy? Yeah. 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 Like, well, someone has to score. Like, Minnesota's the worst team in the league the last two years. And he's the... He can score for the worst team, but like it's not a way to win. It's not a right. winning formula. I mean, you literally have to. No basketball team scores like seventeen points in a game. Somebody has to score. So right. if he was the somebody has to score guy, and then it's like, oh, I don't. It makes me that idea makes me a little nervous. It's not the same as Tanner Holden, but we have to learn from Tanner Holden because Tanner Holden was like a big time bucket getter at a lower level and came here and was a non-factor. That's just mm-hmm. the truth. And now he's gone. So Minnesota is not the same thing as Wright State, but bad Minnesota is pretty bad. That's pretty bad. That is like a non-competitive. He was on a non-competitive Minnesota team for the past two years. So, okay, I saw his stats, but like, what does that really mean when you're trying to be good? I'm on alert. I don't think we can assume he is a surefire answer. Especially last year, because when you're the leading scorer and you shoot that bad, that is the epitome of like, I mean, somebody has got to score. I mean, yeah, you're shooting the ball this many times. Eventually they're going to start falling. Let's use another. Yeah. Let's use, but like, but the year before that, that's a little bit more. It's like, okay, you did that against big 10 teams against the same teams you're going to play this year. So maybe you have more trust in it. I'll use. Another football example, since we've already done the steel chamber, C.J. Hicks, because C.J. Hicks' name has to come up on every pod at Buckeye Talk because um, he's just one of those guys. What if he's Jonah Jackson? Yeah, great. As long as somebody uh, else feels comes feels. up. <laughs> That's the thing. It's, but, like, I think just – I think in this situation – Justin Fields doesn't have to be awesome on day one. Actually, no, it's, it's, it's actually the exact same. Justin Fields actually didn't have to be awesome on day one. He played FAU in Cincinnati and Miami, Ohio. He didn't have to be awesome until Penn State came to town. And then even then it's like, here, JK, here, Chase Young. I think that's perfect. Chase, Justin Fields of the basketball team doesn't have to be Justin Fields on day one. He can grow. But by February, somebody better be Justin Fields because Jonah Jackson has care- has done his part. He's got you to yeah. February. All right, I got you to the Penn State game. Rutgers is over with. Good teams are coming. Hey, Justin, can you do that Heisman thing? Hey, um, freshman or sophomore year player, can you do that all Big Ten level thing? Okay. <laughs> it's not it's, it's not a perfect analogy, but it kind of it, it makes a little bit of sense. So the other two transfers, Dale Bonner from Baylor, he was sixth in minutes for Baylor last year. He was eighth in points. He averaged 19.3 minutes per game, 4.7 points, 2.7 assists. He's a veteran guy. He's a one-year guy, here to be a backup point guard kind of guy. And then Evan Mahaffey is a guy on the way up. He's from Penn State. He was ninth in minutes for Penn State last year. He was eighth in points for Penn State. He averaged 9.3 minutes per game, 2.8 points, 1.7 rebounds. So Baylor was good. Penn State made a nice run, did some stuff in the tournament. Like, 
I don't know. I, I do. I, I just I, I know what he. What is Bonner? Bonner's from Northeast Ohio, so that's part of this. Those are we're not messing up. Those are the type of transfers where you bring in when you already have your rotation set. Okay, so because they're probably eighth and ninth, or ninth and tenth in the rotation. No, I would say ninth and tenth. I think last year's transfers were good enough to get in the way of develop of the necessary development, and that's a bad spot to be in when you have young talent. Because we talk, I mean, we talk about that with the football team all the time, right? Where guys are just good enough to stay in the way of the young talent, the guy who might be awesome. This, I once again, that's why I am I am very impressed with this group of transfers. You've got one guy who can like solve a early season problem for you in in Jamison Battle. The other transfers you use are guys who, if you need them to play randomly a 15 minutes in a game because somebody's in foul trouble fine because they're veterans but they're not going to get in the way of what the plan is and the plan is these first and second year guys are going to carry the load for this team and they have to because that's what you're you put all your chips in on those two recruiting classes so don't go get transfers who are going to go get in the way of that but then we just have to be realistic about it so i mean i just didn't you know sean mcneil isaac likely and tanner holden last year it's like okay i don't know it's like well i don't know fine i don't know Mm -hmm. so okay then then this is two backups and jameson battles gonna play an important role but let's not pretend that there's something that they're not because this is not a program at the moment that is getting justice suing was a transfer like a different kind of transfer Mm -hmm. but at cal then came here i mean there's not these are not hugely impactful game-changing transfers they're still trying to get their best guys in recruiting and so i think you make a very good point about let's not block those guys with minutes fillers, but then let's not act like getting Dale Bonner and Evan Mahaffey and Jamison Battle is like the key to a Sweet 16 run because they're just cogs. It's about the other guys. Mm-hmm. So now this is our 10. Three freshmen, three transfers, all new. Three sophomores who have been through the grind and Zed Key, who again, I think is a nice complimentary player. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't. It feels like they're a guy short and the guys in the NBA. And I understand that. And, and, but also we have to live in the world. This is your team. So you're going to tell me that this team, this collection of maybe let's have five guys score between eight and 13 points. This team is a sweet 16 team. Because that's the thing, Stephen. You can't go through a bottoming out like last year to get back to where you were. You yeah. have to, if you're going to take that big of a step back, then when you come back, you have to move forward. You don't tank if you're caught in mediocrity. You don't tank to get back to mediocre. You tank to get mm-hmm. good. This was like as much of a version of tanking as we'll ever see in college sports. So they did it, but Chris Holtman still hasn't made the Sweet Sixteen. Chris Holtman still hasn't won. A Big Ten, and he still hasn't. You know, he finished second year one, and they haven't really been back to that level. They're not. They're not like in a tooth and nail fight the last couple of years to win the Big Ten title in the regular season. You is this team that, or are we somehow going to ask all the people who are listening, all the people who pay money for the tickets, all the people who are going to be watching games on Peacock or whatever the TV network is for Big Ten basketball this year? No, 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 no. One more year. Wait Mm. till the sophomores are juniors and the freshmen are sophomores. And then we'll bring in another good transfer who will actually make a difference. One more year. Are we one more yearing this fan base? Because to me, if they're seventh in the Big Ten and they win one tournament game. Yeah. And they don't make the Sweet 16. We're one more yearing them because that's not what anyone's waiting for. Are we one more yearing people? I will not. You will not see... One more year stories at cleveland.com at any point in the next 12 okay. months. I can get so on record. I am saying that. I think at some point you can't one more year. Even if it is a one more year, you got to jump the line. You got to force it at some point if it's not naturally happening. And I do think that this collection of talent is good enough to attempt to force it. Whether it happens or not, I mean, that's going to have to play out on the court, obviously. But I think you have enough here to force yourself to get ahead of the curve a little bit and be like, oh, he's a year early. We, I mean, you see individual players in multiple sports do it all the time where they go, 
well, we thought he was going to be this at this point, but he's actually like a year ahead. And it's like helped us so much. You know, I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. was kind of that. He was like a year early. They just couldn't play him because, you know, you had three first rounders in front of him. But Marvin Harrison Jr. probably could have started for Ohio State if those three guys didn't exist and they would have been fine with it. Who's going to be a year early? Is Bruce Thornton going to be a year ahead of his development? Is Roddy Gale going to be a year ahead? Maybe Felix Apar comes out and he's a guy where it's like he's averaging three blocks per game and nobody can drive to the rim. Or Devin Royal from day one is like, oh, he can score 15 points right now. Scotty Middleton the same way. Which of these young guys is going to be ahead of the curve in a way that like allows this team to finally take that step that it feels like us in the media have been promising this fan base for like four years now? So I am off the one more year thing, and I'm more on the somebody force us to think differently about this team in this program. All right, last break when we come back. What could Ohio State be doing better, be doing differently? We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Stephen. So th- this is another highly rated recruiting class, right? This is going to be two years in a row. I don't know if you have the numbers in front of you, but like these are top 10 national mm-hmm. recruiting classes with some depth. We're talking about three top 50 kind of guys in this freshman class. And, you know, it's it's not unusual when you recruit at that level to then rely on these guys a little bit. But yet we're still kind of wondering, are we sure like somebody like that could be an offensive centerpiece? You know, it's not, it's not Zion Williamson or whatever. I mean, it's not, I don't know. I guess the, the Zions of the world go to the, the G league now anyway. So, I mean, college basketball is just different. You just have to live with, you have to live with the circumstances that you have. So I guess when you look at what they're doing in recruiting in the portal, is there a strategy thing they could be doing better is there an execution of like man where's your where's your five-star game changer right like why is there should they be getting like a a sure thing absolute star in the portal instead of these role guys like i don't or is this just the lot that they're in and last year was a bottoming out and they should get back to more of what they were before, which is basically trying to be a top 25 team, finish fourth through seventh in the Big Ten, and making the Sweet 16 would be a great achievement that they haven't yet met. Or or should they be should should they be doing something better that they're not? That's a hard question to answer because I don't know what the world looks like where they get five-star recruits because even the Thad Mata era of getting five-star recruits, D'Angelo Russell, wow, that's a big pickup because he's from Kentucky, but he also went to um, a prep school in Florida, the same school that Ben Simmons went to. It's The name is escaping me, and they produce multiple NBA players. So that's a wow type of get. Greg Oden and Michael Conley, he had a relationship with them when he was at Butler, it's just they weren't going to go to Butler. So now that he was at a school where it made sense for them to go to, they went to. And then that whole era was like, Ever Turner wasn't a five-star. He just developed into the number two pick in the NFL NBA draft. Jared Sullinger lived 10 minutes from you and committed to you in the eighth grade. Aaron Kraft's from Ohio. Deshaun Thomas is from India. Like these, they were, it was Midwest kids. It's not like Thad Model went out there and got like the best player in New York or the best player in LA to come here. And that is not, always been on the table in the Holtman era to go get Jared Selinger, which is why when there have been like Devin Royal is probably the best kind of version of that. They got Devin Royal to stay home. They've got those types of players to stay home from a transfer standpoint. I mean, maybe you could make the case of like, Hey, why didn't Caleb love consider you? He was cool with coming to the big 10 for a minute when he chose Michigan. But even then it's like, I don't know. I don't know if talent acquisition is the problem. I think they just need to be better at coaching. In game. I don't even think development is that big of an issue. EJ Liddell, perfect case of development. Malachi Branham and Bryce Sensiball, they give you one and done level development. Dwayne Washington has stuck around in the NBA a little bit. So you, you're proving the development part of it. I just think like the actual game day coaching has not always been up to par. And outside of Tom Izzo, and this is with all due respect, to what's going on in Indiana, what's going on at Purdue, what's going on at Michigan, what's going on at Penn State right now, because I think we before obviously he's moved on, but I think he did a really good job there for two years. There's only one coach in the Big Ten where if the end result is like you just got out coached, where that's a good enough answer. 
And right now that happens. And that happens too many times over the last couple of years. Micah Shrewsbury moving on from Penn State to Notre Dame. That's a guy that should have stuck in the Big Ten. Somebody in the Big Ten should have been able to hire him. But uh, it's probably good for the Big Ten that he's not because I do think he's really good. I I think that's well said. And we just look at the results of of how often the Big Ten doesn't get over the top in the tournament. When they get to a point Mm -hmm. where it's like, all right, let's play actual good teams instead of beating up on each other. How often are they doing anything? And it's not that often. Even you look at Michigan right now. As good as they were in that stretch, John Beeline into early Jawan Howard, and now Michigan was bad last year, and then they lose two guys, right, including Jawan's kid. They lose those two guys to the NBA early. Hunter Dickinson transfers. They're supposed to bring in Caleb Love as a transfer, but then that doesn't work out, and he doesn't Mm -hmm. end up going to Michigan. And so, like, Michigan's a mess right now. That's the thing. There's nobody – I think the the Big Ten as a whole – is open for criticism in basketball. And I think very yes. valid criticism. And I hope the the idea that like, hey, this is a great basketball conference. They're going to get 10 teams in the tournament. I hope we realize that they're a conference of parity. I'm not sure they're a conference of excellence right now. Mm-hmm. But all that means is the door is open, man. And Izzo's getting older. And so Michigan State still recruits a really high level. He's still a legend. But there is no reason... You know, Matt Painter and Purdue, they flame out in the tournament all the time. And so Matt Painter and Brad Underwood at Illinois and um, Mike Woodson at Indiana and Juwan Howard at Michigan, there isn't anybody that's blocking Ohio State. So there was a, you know, when Ohio State was going good, you know, Izzo was right in his prime. And Bo Ryan was an awesome coach. Right. And like those are and Ohio State was right up there with Wisconsin and Michigan State. But if you would have been getting your butt kicked by Bo Ryan, it's like, man, Bo Ryan's kind of a master here. And and Izzo is an absolute legend. OK. And, you know, it was pretty good. John Beeline is pretty darn good at mm-hmm. Michigan. So if that was happening and yeah, Indiana went through a swoon during that time that Ohio State absolutely capitalized on. But but this is not this is open. And so that's are really truly a part of it to me, Stephen, because I do think we have to have context. We have to have context, but the context is it's there for the taken and there's no reason Ohio state shouldn't take it. So I think for them to finish again, sweet 16 is hard. You have a high seed, you have a bad day. I, you know, it happens, but this for the lumps they took last year, there's no reason this shouldn't be a top four team in the big 10 this year, Stephen, because I just don't think there's anybody standing in their way. We had a pod a couple of weeks ago, and we're not. We were talking. It was a football pod, obviously, and we were talking about the idea of the playoff. And is it is a twelve team playoff a good thing or a bad thing going forward? We were talking about coaches, and I brought up the point of like why I thought it was a bad thing, and that what if you get to a situation at Ohio State where you're in the playoff every year because you're gonna be, but you keep losing in the first round, and then it turns into what we see in the NBA at times where like. Guys keep hitting the ceiling and coach and coaches get fired after reaching the NBA finals or getting to the conference finals, but it's not good enough. And I don't want to say Holtman's there yet, but you do get to the point where I'm sitting here saying, I don't think any of these other things other than what happens on the actual 40 minute game period is the issue. When do you ever get to a point when that's the case of like, maybe this, maybe everything else is fine. This isn't the guy who's supposed to be leading that thing. And I think that's where I'm at with Holtman at this point of like, dude, you have everything else. You've got talented. You've got two back-to-back classes that finished eighth in the country. You've got a quality transfer class for what you needed. You've got everything else at your disposal. At some point, you've just got to go win a basketball game. And there's not enough times where I feel like Ohio State just went out and won a basketball game. Really, that's only happened since I've been on the beat. Duke is probably the one time where it was like, Man, Holtman put his foot in that game. And then before that, the Michigan State game, when they beat them when they were number one team, was like, man, Holtman really did his thing out there. Go out coach somebody. Because like right now, I don't know who the second best coach in the Big Ten is, definitively. I think there's a list of people that you can say, you just named a lot of them, where it's like, he might be the second best coach. I think Holtman has a chance to put himself in that list too, but there's no definitive number two. And the only reason there's a definitive number one is because Izzo's a Hall of Famer who's been doing this for so long. So I think Holtman's the challenge to Holtman is go claim that spot. 
Because if you claim that spot, that automatically lifts the program up, and then getting to the Sweet 16 maybe isn't that big of a deal. Chris Holtman in Big Ten play was 15-3 and three in his first season. He's 48-52 and 52 in Big Ten play in the five seasons since. Now, of course, 5-15 and 15 in Big Ten play last year blows a hole in that. Big Ten finishes tied for second, tied for eighth, tied for fifth, fifth, tied for fourth, 13th. So again, I just, I, I guess there was the one year where they were like right in it until the end and lost, lost a couple games at the end of the regular season. But like we said, you know, we just, we just had a, a, a football podcast that where I'm saying like, Hey, it's not about winning national titles, but be in the mix, be in the mix. I think is really important. I don't think they're in enough of the mix. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, Steven. I don't, I don't think they're in enough of the mix in a mix that's there for the taking. Because this is not saying, I don't, there's not a Big Ten basketball program right now that is as good as Michigan football. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. So like, so like the idea of like, hey, what, but it's like, well, who's, who's the thing like, well, you can't get past them. Purdue's a very good regular season team and Zach Eady is very, very tall, but it's not it's not the same thing, like top to bottom, like, well, you know, what are you going to do with those guys? Sometimes you're going to lose to them. So they have to do that, and we can't we, we can't have this conversation without having a Chris Holtman job status conversation because it's very fair. I think – well, I'll leave it to you first. What, where do you think he is, and where do you think the job – status conversation would go based on varying ways this season turns out. I think he's fine. I don't think he's on the hot seat. Um, I think he's on the, let's see what happens over the next two years seat, because this is, he's not the only one banking on this. Your athletic director is banking on this. When your athletic director comes down and tells your coach, play the young guys, he's trying, I think you're trying to see something, right? You're Matt, you're Matt, you're all in. The chips are all in. So if it doesn't work with these two classes, and like, what are you, I don't know what else Gene Smith would be looking for to prove to him that Holtman's still the guy for the job. And, but I think that about any, any coach, I think Ryan Day, there's a tipping point where like Gene Smith would go, okay, if it doesn't work with this group, then like maybe I should move on. I think the same way with baseball coach, softball coach, any other, any other team. So this is not just, just a Holtman thing. So I think it's that. I think let's see how this class, these two class, this 22 and 23 class, what it looks like over the next two years. And I think that will give us an answer of how much longer Holtman will be around here. I think the status of the job, that's what makes this hard because does, do you go get someone at a higher level than Chris Holtman? If you fire Chris Holtman right now, like, cause I yeah, understand you, like you, you can. Yeah. You throw a bunch of money at him. I think it's a good job. Because if that's your answer to that, then it's a high-level job. It's not quite Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, UCLA job, but I do think it's probably the step under that. If you can get a guy of – like, could you pull Jay Wright out of retirement to come take this job? I mean, like, that's the one – I mean, everyone's you know, like he's not, he's not coming out. But I don't think if he was willing, I don't think that would be unreasonable if you throw a bunch of money. It's a, I agree it's with a that. great athletic department. Yeah. It's a it's a good college city. There's an opportunity to win here. And if you are the type of coach that would embrace being number two on campus, which lessens the load mm-hmm. a little bit, there's still, I think, great upside and opportunity without quite as much burden at a, as at a place like Duke or Kentucky or Kansas or Indiana, where it's the number one sport. So if you get the right kind of coach who's okay with that, I think it's a very, very attractive job. And we have to remember when they fired Thad last time, they were so late in the cycle. It's yeah. not like Chris Holtman was the slam dunk best guy in the country. He was the best guy mm-hmm. in the country they could get then. So if you did a wide open search, I, I, I don't know, right? Maybe Steve Kerr is sick of the NBA. I mean, like, that's silly, but Whew. I mean, like you just expand your horizons a little bit, right? It's freaking yeah. Ohio State and it's Columbus. And I think we have to remember that. I think you can go get the Mike Woodson of like, he, I mean, Mike Woodson was a decent coach in the NBA at a time, right? Like the, the Knicks, when he was there, were like the number two seed in the East one year and Melo led the league in scoring. I think that's where I, 
I think Ohio State is at a level where they don't have to go get Chris Holtman again and bring him up from somewhere else. They don't have to go get Thad Mata and bring him up from somewhere else. And some of that is thanks to Thad Mata himself. But I think you can go get someone at a program of equal uh, quality level, or you can go get somebody from the NBA to take this job. So his contract has him locked up through the next five seasons. He's been here six. His extension that he got like two off seasons ago has him through the 27-28 season. So here's where I would be. I think if they have anything that resembles last season, I think he's fired. I think you'd eat four years if it's awful Yes. again. Yes. Now, you're not expecting it to be that awful. I'm not expecting it to be that awful. I'm not sure anybody's expecting it to be that awful. I think if it is back to what it was before, middle of the pack in the Big Ten, fifth, tied for fourth, sixth, whatever, early tournament exit, no Sweet 16, I think that then means the next year is show me something mm-hmm. when we are now in these this Thornton group are juniors, the Middleton group are sophomores. There's no excuses. They've been together. Show me something. And if it feels like you're still treading water then, then I think you could fire for a fine season then because it's another fine season. And then it's like, well, we might have one more year where the Thornton guys are seniors and the Middleton guys are juniors, but maybe let's give them to another coach and see if another Mm -hmm. coach can get more out of them. Because so far, Bruce Thornton has one NCAA tournament victory in three years here, right? Like, and, and I think the idea, like, you know, that, oh, well, he has good recruiting classes. You can't fire the coach. It's like, you know what happens sometimes? You fire the coach, the players stay, the coach is better, and the mm-hmm. players are better. So I am officially now on bad year, gone, mediocre year, firmly on the hot seat for the next season. And mediocre to me is, again, like, 21 wins around 500 in the big 10 and not a sweet 16, not terrible, but at some point people have something to have to be happy about something. So, and I don't think given all the contract status and there's like what you would do and what is realistic. I think even if you have four years left on a deal, it's, if it's another catastrophic back to back, it's like, okay, we don't have a choice. And then if you fire for fine and you eat three years, it's like, okay, we're going to go get somebody with a little more juice because we're Ohio state. So, so that's short of a, it's not a, I wouldn't say it's a make or break Chris Holtman season, but I would also say it's a, it's a don't suck or break season. Yeah. 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 You can't go 16 and 19 and five, 15 and big 10 again and expect to still be employed at Ohio state university this time. Like next summer. That's just, I, I I like the two year window thing because even if you do fire him for being, fine two more years in a row you're not firing him because he was fine in 23 24 and 24 25 you're firing him because he was fine those two years and then the four other years while also only having one good year where you also lost in the second round of the ncaa tournament while pairing that with 16 and 19 and 5 and 15 it's like dude like your ceiling is second in the big 10 and yet your season still ends the same way it ends when you're like eighth in the big 10 we got to move on for you. So I, I like the two-year window thing, which I think is – it's not hot seat, but it's like you just like put the heater under the seat and you turned it on. It's like you notice – you and you notice it. You like notice that, man, I've been sitting in this chair for a little minute. It's a little – it's a little nippy. I don't know that he would disagree with that. That thing of like if no. you're terrible again, come on, man. Or like and two years from now, if you still haven't really won anything – like, Cause you can't explain. After a while, you can't even explain that to yourself. Of like, why am I keeping this guy around here? And if it's like, oh, Ohio State, did you hear what they did? Little guy, a little quick on the draw with Chris Holtman. They only gave him eight years with no Big Ten titles and no Sweet Sixteens. They're nuts over there, aren't they? It's not nuts. It's eight years of fine with a horrible bottom out in the middle of it. So yeah, that's yeah. where we'd be. We we have to be better as that at media and not going. You it could be so much worse. You know what it could also be so much better. And don't we think that? And it's okay to think that. Right. It's okay to that, think that's... things can be better. Now there's a, like to the to to reference our other pod without the national championship standard of the football team. That's yeah. You, know, you can get nitpicky with the it can be better, but with this team, 
when you are constantly in the middle of the pack and you know it can be better because you've seen it be better, it's okay for you to want things to be better. Even if you think this is fine. We don't want fine. We want good. Bordering on great. And I think you can see the opportunity. Again, I think when you're having the discussions that we have with football, well, listen, if Georgia stood in your way or Bama stood in your way, Mm -hmm. guess what? Really good Michigan football is really a hurdle right now. That's all part of the discussion. If it doesn't feel like that's what's happening in the Big Ten, yes, it's tough. We get that. We understand that, right? And when you say that 12 of the 14 teams last year were competitive and right in the mix, that also means that there weren't, you know, other than Purdue, nobody had – an awesome mm-hmm. Big Ten record, but you were five and fifteen. So there's a point. Like it's just it's there for the taking, and I think Gene and the leadership would see that as well, because they're not asking them to be Kentucky, Kansas, UCLA, Duke, North Carolina. They're not. That's not what they're asking. But you know, is there any reason that Illinois and Michigan and Maryland and Indiana and Purdue and Wisconsin and schools like that are are having significantly more interesting, optimistic, hopeful, fun basketball seasons than Ohio State. No, not on a consistent basis. You should be taking your turn, and it hasn't been their turn for a while. So, okay, that's where we'll leave that. We're not going to pretend that we know everything about a basketball team that's going to have two-thirds new players in June. But we wanted to do a lay of the land. If you guys stuck around, we hope you find uh, found that basketball review interesting. Probably won't be bunch of basketball for a little bit here now, but we appreciate you guys sticking with us for this for now. For Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>